All right, so Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and then we'll look at ver- uh, chapter 3 and get, get started in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. So last week we talked about uh, what is the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel, and we said this is something every Christian should know, the heart of the gospel is that we are made right with God, okay, not by works, but by putting our faith and trust in the life of Jesus Christ, in the life and death of Jesus Christ. That is the heart of the gospel, right? That's what it all comes down to. The reformers back in the 1500s, 1600s said it this way, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, and it's so simple that you can explain it in one sentence. It's so simple that you can tell that to a child and, and they, could, uh, they could understand it. Now, we, we can understand the heart of the gospel, but as I said last week, we still struggle to answer the question, what, what constitutes a life that's in step with the gospel? Okay, if I, you know, we, we're, we're constantly looking at people and saying, well, they shouldn't be doing that. That's out of step with the gospel. I mean, we understand the gospel. We understand the heart of the gospel. But what makes up a life that is in step with the gospel? We sometimes have trouble uh, answering that question. And, and the reason we have trouble answering that question is we spend too much time on the what. What can we do? What can't we do? Instead of spending or focusing on the how, to live a life that's in step with the gospel. Does that make sense? We, we spend too much time on the, well, that you can do that, you can't do that, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, instead of stepping back and just focusing on how to live a life that's in step with the gospel. And so that's what we're really going to talk about um, today. So today, what Paul is going to talk about is life after the law. Okay? Um, he's going to talk about li- what, how do you live a life to God? And not a life to self, not a life that's based on uh, works. Now we gotta, I, I, we're gonna focus today, starting with verse twenty, but we gotta do a little bit of a review so that we make sure that we see it in context. So let's read verses fifteen through twenty-one. This is Paul talking, and he says, "We are ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ." So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So, when you first read this, it sounds a little complicated. What is Paul uh, actually talking about? So last week... We kind of started walking through this, and I need to review this again because we got to see verse 20 in context. So Paul starts off by saying, we ourselves, and he's talking to the Jews, he says, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now the word sinners here is very important to understand. Paul does not mean that Jews are not sinners and Gentiles are. Because, by the way, that would contradict other things that Paul says. For example, Romans 3.23, Paul says, Who has sinned? Everybody. 
We've all come short of God's glorious standard. That's Jew and Gentile. So that word sinners there doesn't, that doesn't mean really what we think it means. What it means is that the Jews took great pride in their status as the chosen people of God. And in fact, they were such so prideful about it that they would use the term Gentile sinners to refer to all other races or all other ethnic groups. In other words, they regarded everybody else as sinners because they didn't have the law, right? In other words, we got the law. God gave us the law. How Y'all have to be sinners because you don't have the law. So in other words, they're lawbreakers or law neglectors, okay? So it was kind of a derisive term that the Jews uh, used. Now watch what Paul says. So Paul says we're Jews and we have the law. Right? We're not like all... Y'all say we're not like those Gentile sinners. Now watch what he says. Yet we know that a... Now who's the we here? Jews. Yet we know, even as Jews, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Paul's point is this. Even though we as Jews by birth, are law keepers. We are chosen of God. We have the the law that's been given to us. Even as Jews, we've come to stake our lives not on that law, but on Jesus Christ. Okay? In other words, we put our trust in Him as our righteousness, not the law. Even though we have the law, even though we're the chosen people of God, even us have said, you know what? Our righteousness is not in the law. It's It's in Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 17 we can hear the echo of an argument that the Judaizers had probably used against Paul numerous times. They had probably argued that Paul, by encouraging Jews to neglect the law of God, for example, Paul doesn't eat with the Gentiles. Does I mean, Paul eats with Gentiles. He encourages Peter and Barnabas to eat with the Gentiles. The Jews said, Paul, when you do that, when you do that, you're acting like Gentile sinners and you're making Christ the agent of sin or the servant of sin. Look what he says in verse 17. Paul says, But if if our, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now I want you to watch what he's saying. It's, it's very important here to understand what Paul's saying. Paul means that when a Jew trusts Christ for justification and not the law, he doesn't have to follow all the ceremonial Regulations. He doesn't have to keep the feast. He doesn't have to be. Uh, he doesn't have to not eat with Gentiles. But when they do that, people like that are called what by the Jews? They're called sinners. If you don't keep the law, you're called a sinner. So Paul accepts that term and says, "Okay, if your definition of a sinner is someone who doesn't keep the uh, ceremonial Jewish laws, then yes, we're found to be sinners in this sense." Everybody see? That's what he's saying. If that's your definition of a sinner, somebody that doesn't keep the law, and we and those of us that have trusted in Christ, you say that we're sinners, then okay. If that's what you say a sinner is, then, that, then that's what we are. Everybody with me? Okay? But now, we said it last week. He's actually using this term because he's going to turn around in a minute and he's going to tear them down. And I'll show you how he's going to do that. But he denies emphatically that this makes Christ an agent of sin. And watch his reasoning. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. That word for means because. He says, because if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, 
What Paul is referring to here when he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, he tore down the law as a means of justification. And again, we covered all this last week, but we, we need to kind of review it. Keep in mind, if you go back and read the Old Testament, Moses and, and the prophets, they never taught that you could get right with God through your works, right? For example, Psalms 143.2 says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous. Well, how can that be? If they taught the law made you righteous, how could they say there's no one righteous, right? For example, Isaiah 64.6, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are like what? Filthy rags, right? I mean, that's what Isaiah said. The best d deeds you can do, you follow the law the best you can. Before God, it's filthy. So the law never taught that you could be made right with God through, uh, through the law. Now, Paul's going to talk about this in detail in chapter 3, so we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But last week, we kind of gave you the picture of the law uh, as a railroad track. Everybody remember that? So what, the, what God did is he kind of laid down the law as a railroad track. And he said, this is, this is to guide you through life, right? This is what you need to follow. And basically, the, at the end of the day, if you, if you look at the train as a picture, the, uh, the engine was the Holy Spirit that pulls us along, right? It was still supposed to be by the Holy Spirit. The coupling between the car and the engine was still faith. So just like in the Old Testament and the New Testament, salvation was, even in the Old Testament, was supposed to be by grace through faith along the railroad track of sanctification. Everybody with me? We talked about that last week. But now the Jews did an amazing thing. They took the railroad track, they picked it up on its end, leaned it up against heaven, and they made it into a ladder that they could climb. In other words, they made, each, they made the law into this long list of steps which they could you know, walk up and show how right they were before God. Remember we talked about this last week. So what Paul said is, I tore that ladder down. That, that ladder that said you had to follow the law to be made right with God, I, I tore that down. That's the way the Jews used it. He said, I'm not going to depend on that anymore. That's, that's what he said in 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, if I rebuild the ladder, if I once again try to make rules and regulations and laws the way to gain God's favor. Now watch what he says. I prove myself to be a what? What's a transgressor? A sinner. See, that's what he's saying. If I rebuild that ladder, then I'm a sinner in the true sense. You say sinners are people that don't keep the law. What I'm telling you is if, I, if you try to use the law to get to God, if you try to use your own works to look right before God, he said that's the true definition of a sinner. That's when you become a real sinner. So that's what I said. He, he used that term, but then he turned around and tore it down. Now look at the connection between 17 and 18. Let's put that together. Paul says, but if... In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a real sinner. Right? So what he's saying is this. When Christ leads us to trust Him for justification instead of trusting our own efforts, He's not an agent of sin. For what really makes a person a true sinner is not in the neglect of ceremonial statutes, but the prostitution of the law of God, which turns it from a railroad track of grace into a ladder of works. The real sin against God is to presume that you can climb your way up a ladder of morality 
in order to gain his favor. That's what Paul's talking about. So, so in all of this, as a review, Paul is saying you can't get to God through the law. You can't get to God by working. You can be the very best person you can possibly be. And if before God, it's filthy. It's trash. It's not anywhere good enough, right? So Paul says, I abandoned that because that wasn't getting me nowhere and I put everything on Jesus Christ. I put all of my faith and all of my trust in the life and death of Jesus Christ. Now, watch what he says in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Okay. Now, don't miss what Paul is saying here. If you want to live to God, if you want to live a life to God, then you have to abandon works. You have to die to the law. You have to die to self. You have to die to that ladder of, of morality. Everybody with me? That's what he's saying. It's, it's an either or. You can't have one foot here and one foot there. You have to die to that. In fact, that word die, there's a couple words I want to show you there. First one is die to the law, and the other one is, is live to God. Now, the question is, and I want to talk about this today, how do you do that? How do you die to the law and live to the God? And that, and that brings us to probably one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. And in this verse, Paul spells out what this experience of death to law and life to God really looks like. Okay, so this is where he's getting to. He just said, look, you want to live to God, you've got to die to the law. But what does that look like, Paul? How do, we, how do we do that? What does that mean in practice? And then he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, let's talk about this. Obviously, the life and death he's talking about here is a spiritual life and a spirit. He's not talking about physical life and physical death. He's talking about spiritual. Now, he just stated in verse 19 that he died to the law. Now, when a person dies, what happens to their taste? It's gone. You, you can't taste anything. What about their sight? Gone. What about their hearing? Gone. You can't taste. You can't see. You can't hear. See, they become what's called insensible. They can't sense anymore. Well, when you die to the law, think about that. What, what does that mean between you and the law? You can't relate anymore. You can't relate anymore. You don't understand the law anymore. You don't taste the law. You don't see the law. You don't hear the law. You can't see. It has no effect on you whatsoever. You died to it. So what he's saying, he's saying, I became insensible to it in the same way that physical death makes a person insensible to objects and influences. He became insensible to the law as a means of justification. He said, I died to that. It has no effect on me anymore. It's all about Jesus Christ now. It doesn't affect me. Those ceremonial regulations, people saying, you got to do this, that affects me not at all. I'm insensible to it. I, I died to it. Now, so they lost their power over him. They ceased to influence him. Now, how did this happen? Well, Paul tells us. Keep in mind... Here, I wanted to get a picture here. This is the I. By the way, Paul says, who died? I. Well, what does he mean by that? He means self-will, self-promotion, self-pleasing. All those were surrendered to Christ at the cross in exchange for the will of God. This, this self that Paul talks about 
is the greatest obstacle between, you know, and I, so I'm looking for a video to explain self. Well, that kind of explains it. We all are, we grow up kind of in love with self, don't we? So, and by the way, all sin emanates from that. What do I want? What do I need? What do I think? What do I feel? Right? That's, that's where all sin emanates uh, from that. Paul says that old self, that self-will, self-promotion, self-satisfaction, uh, self-desire, that old self which loves to display its power by climbing ladders of morality, that self died. It died when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as the foundation of my righteousness. When we're crucified with Christ by faith in Him, we have to surrender all of that, all of those <coughs> selfish desires. The, the eye of self-reliance and self-confidence and self-sufficiency cannot live at the foot of the cross. Therefore, Paul says, when Christ died, I died. I died with Him. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working with a person right now and I won't go into any real details, but they're, they're struggling um, to overcome sin in their life. But now here's the problem. If I told you, if I told you someone was saved uh, three months ago and they're struggling with sin, what would you think about that? Pretty normal? What if I told you someone was saved 18 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago and they still struggle with the same things they struggled with? What would you say about that? Is that, do you see that in the Bible? You, you, you see, the point is, is that we should have died at the cross. And, if, and if, you, if you say, I walked down an aisle 25 years ago and I gave my life, I gave myself to Christ, but yet 20 years go by, 25 years go by, 30 years go by, and you're still struggling with, with giving up self, then my point to you is you may want to check, you may want to check whether you're really saved. Okay, because one of the things we should see in the Christian life is growth, right? Paul says, I die. And, and watch what he says by this. By the way, what remains when we die? Watch what Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. See, he rose from the dead. He took over where the life of pride and self-direction had died. By the way, that's the awesome mystery of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. <coughs> The New Living Translation says it this way, Colossians 1.27. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. By the way, this is conversion. This is what it means to be born again. When you are born again, the old self dies, right? Paul says, I died with Christ, and now who lives in me? Christ lives in me. He comes in through the Holy Spirit and takes possession of us. And what does the Holy Spirit produce in us? He produces fruit. Does He not? By the way, John, go read John 15. Jesus said, He who abides in Me produces, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in Me, you produce what? Fruit. And by the way, when you produce fruit, what does the Father do? He prunes you so that you will do what? Produce more fruit. The picture of a Christian in the Bible is a person who is producing fruit and, the, and God the Father is pruning them and they're producing more fruit. And if you don't produce fruit, what does Jesus say happens? You're cut off and thrown into the fire. 
the, the picture of a Christian is a, a man or a woman that is producing fruit. You never see anybody in the Bible that says, I'm a Christian, that doesn't produce fruit. You just don't see it. You, you have to be growing. You have to be producing fruit. And by the way, you produce that fruit because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's, it's Christ in you. That's what Paul's saying. See, a Christian, by the way, is not a person who just believes in their head the teachings of the Bible. The demons believe the teachings of the Bible. They know they're true. That's not the definition of a Christian. A Christian is a person who has died with Christ, whose stiff neck has been broken, whose brazen forehead has been shattered, whose stony heart has been crushed, whose pride has been slain, and whose life is now mastered by Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. It's no longer I who live this life. It's Jesus who's living in me. Okay? Now, that's, by the way, remember in context what he's saying. I died to the law. Okay, so what, is, what does my life look like now after the law? I'm, I, I was one, Paul says I was one of those who I tried to always climb that ladder. I tried to beat everybody around me climbing that ladder. I tried to be better than everybody around me. I tore that ladder down. And now I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we say, okay, Paul, what does that mean? How does that life look? He starts out, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. But now watch verse 20. He puts it another way. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, Paul says, well, you know what? I do still live, right? I'm Paul, Derek, I'm here. It's still me, my personality, right? I'm still here. But who is this I? Paul says it's a new I. Right? It's no longer an I who craves self-reliance or self-confidence or self-promotion or self-exaltation or self-direction. Right? The new I looks away from itself and the ladder it used to try and climb every day and trust in the Son of God whose love and power was proved at Calvary. See, what he's saying is from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you fall asleep at night, this new I of faith despairs of itself and looks to Christ not only for salvation, but for the motivation, courage, and power to obey what He commands. That's what a life to God looks like. Every day you get up, every day you get up and you read that Bible and it says, do this, do this, don't do that. Every day you get up and you say, okay, Holy Spirit, produce this in me. I can't do that. Everybody with me? I can't do the things you want me to do. Holy Spirit, you do it. You produce this in me. I put. I trust you to do it. That's what Paul is. That's what Paul is saying. Now, let's go back to verse seventeen for just a second. Do you notice what the Galatians said? I um, mean, the Jews would say sometimes they'd say this. Paul says, "If our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ a servant of sin?" See, the Jews would say that to him. Oh, Paul, if you tell Peter not to eat with the Gentiles. You're making him live just like a sinner. Therefore, Jesus is a servant of sin or an agent of sin. Now, they, they, in other words, they act like they're concerned about Christ's honor, right? They're saying, look what you're doing to Jesus. Now, they weren't at all concerned about Christ's honor. Now, by the way, Paul hadn't forgot about that. And watch what he says in verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
See, Paul responds. He says, you know, you guys who think you're so concerned about the honor of Christ, you're the one who dishonor Him. Because what do you make of you... Of, of, think, think about what you make of His cross when you try to elect a ladder of morality or a ladder of justification. See, the fact is, every one of us, every time we try to set up our own works and try to do it our own way, we nullify the grace of God. We say, Jesus' death not good enough. It wasn't sufficient enough. I have to do it this way. And that's what he's saying. You, you think you're honored, you're dishonoring Him when you try to do it uh, that way. By the way, Paul's argument is pretty shockingly conclusive. He says, if righteousness comes through law performance, then the entire message of Christ is a sham and a charade. That if you can get right with God by being good, then His life and death is irrelevant. It means absolutely nothing. That's what he's saying. Um, if right standing with God or righteous character can result from right principles, right procedures, right practices anything other than through the person and work of Jesus Christ, then Paul says Jesus died for absolutely no reason. That's how, that's how black and white he puts it. That's why there, you cannot have a foot on one side and a foot on the other. For you, it's about works or it's about faith. It's got to be one or the other. You can't play on both, you can't play on both sides of it. Now, yes? But it's where you're, Paul said that he has to die daily, that he has to renew his mind daily. So telling folks sometimes, you know, that the fruit should all be there and it should be like a light switch over time. I find a lot of times people have a hard time with that. They do. And well, I, I do, it's the by decision. the way. <laughs> yeah. It's the decision of who you want to serve. Do I want to serve myself or yeah. do I want to serve God? Yeah. And so um, how do you tell people... What would you say to somebody like looking at that and saying, well, it should be gone, you should, it should be easy by now, you know, versus the decision to serve God should be easier versus yeah. your Well, it, you know, I think it's like, go back, is it Romans 7 where Paul says the things I want to do, I don't know how to do? Right. If you go read Romans 7, and that's the very picture of that man. Paul says, what is wrong with me? I know what I want. I, he says, not only do I know what to do, I want to do it. I, I want to serve God. That's in my deepest part of my being. And then I get up every day and I fail. And he, and he goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this life? The, 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 by the way, that's a, I love that passage because, and that's one of the reasons I love the Bible. It never sugarcoats anything. It gives it to you just the way it is. That's the picture of every one of us. That the fact is, even as we go through life and we grow and mature, and we can look back and see evidence of fruit. Scooter and I were talking about this the other day. But just when you wake up one day and think, boy, I really got it going on. God will put his finger on something in your life that he's never put it there before and said, hey, what about that? And you're like, oh, geez, I didn't, even, I didn't see that. What's wrong with me? Right? I mean, he's constantly doing that, constantly um, doing that. So that really never goes away, right? I mean, it really never goes away. Somebody told me one time, you know, if you got to know, the, the whiter your shirt gets, the more the spots show, right? You, you're, you should, when you're so dirty, you don't even notice that little spot. But the cleaner you get, the whiter your shirt gets, that one little spot 
just jumps out at you. It's brighter. That's, that's the way our life is, and, it, and that never stops, by the way. Um, one of the things that I struggle with, and we're going to talk about this as the end, is not so much what I should do or even the desire to do it. My, what I struggle with is that when I do it, how do I know, is it me or the Spirit? Is it just me trying to do it to be better? Or is it really, we're gonna, I'm going to give you some practical advice here at the end on how to, how to walk um, through that. So Paul, but Paul wants us to be absolutely clear, black and white here. Look, if you try to do it on your own, try to be better on your own, try to get to God on your own, you, you basically nullify the cross. You nullify the grace of God. You, you made it in your life as if, as if his life and death is completely um, irrelevant. Now, we're going to come to chapter 3. Now, we already said this. If you really believe the heart of the gospel, that you can be made right with God, not through your works, but by putting your faith in the life and death of Jesus Christ, then it should show in your behavior. Should it not, we should have fruit. We, uh, true salvation equals what? A changed life. It should show in your behavior. Uh, but it also should show in the way you live your, your life. That, that I'm not relying on works. Right? Because remember what the... Judaizer said is that, you know, by the way, I talked to Pastor Henry, I asked him could I tell you this story. Remember, what was the problem? We, there was a couple problems in Galatians. These people uh, are out here in Antioch, these Gentiles, and boy, they're just living life. Man, they're Christians and they're commute, fellowshipping with one another. Peter and Barnabas have come down from Jerusalem, and here's these Jews, and they're not even supposed to eat with us. And they come down, and they've been set free, and they're eating with us, right? And life is good. And then one day, these guys come down from Jerusalem and said, Oh, no, you're missing something. You need to keep the feast. If you would just keep the Jewish feast, then you'd be perfect. Or if you would just be circumcised, then you would be perfect. Or if you would, everybody with me, they're saying you have to keep the laws. And we think, well, that was 2,000 years ago. So about three weeks ago, Pastor Henry preaches. This happened in this church on a Sunday morning. About three weeks ago, Pastor Henry's preaching. Somebody walks up to him after service and says, Man, really love your church, love, the, love your preaching, love the, uh, the word. You're just missing one thing. And, and uh, he said, Well, what's that? And they said, If you would just keep the Jewish feast, then the Holy Spirit could, could fall on this place. And do great things. Now that that happened two or three weeks ago in that building right there. If you would just keep the Jewish feast, did he tell you that, Miss Beth? Mm -hmm. And now that, and I'm thinking, really today? How do you have somebody that still can can read Galatians and come away and do this? And of course, Pastor Henry says, "Well, sister, let's pray." (laughs) And they close their eyes, and he says, "Lord, you know, thank you for this sister. We love her." Deliver her from the bondage <laughs> to legalism. And he did that. He said, deliver her from bondage to legalism. And he said when she opened her eyes, she said, I am not in bondage to legalism. He said, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Probably won't be back. Yeah, she hadn't been back. <laughs> but you see, there's, a, there's a, a drive in us to think I'm missing something. I can be a little, listen, it's there in all of us. Man, I got to go volunteer at a soup kitchen. I'm just not doing enough. I got to read my Bible more. I'm just not. There's this thing in us that says we're not doing enough. By the way, you know why it's there? Because we're not doing enough. We, we really aren't perfect. We lack so much. And the, 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 
impetus there is to say, well, I'm going to do more. When Paul says, no, just rest. Just, just rest in Jesus. By the way, if you go over here and work, 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 you're still not going to be doing enough. That's what Paul said. That's that ladder. I tore that down. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stay over here and I'm going to put my faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ. And by the way, the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus. That's what he says. It's a, it's a life of faith. Yeah, I get up every day and know I'm not good enough. Thank you. Thank God for grace. Because I ain't good enough. And I won't be tomorrow and I won't be the day after that. That's, the, that's why the heart of the gospel is you are made right with God not by your own efforts but by living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, what's happened is earlier in, this, uh, in chapter 2, Paul confronted Peter. Remember, he said, Peter, look, man, what are you doing? You know, you were eating with the Gentiles, you were doing fine, a bunch of Jews come down and you withdraw, right? Now, now Paul is going to turn to the Galatians. This is the first time that he spoke directly to the Galatians because what's happened is they've begun to be sucked in by these Judaizers. They begin to think, man, maybe, maybe we are missing something. Maybe we do need to keep the Jewish feast to be better, just like that lady said a few weeks ago. Now, what Paul is going to do is going to say, whoa, Wait just a second now. If you do that, then your life is going to contradict the gospel. Okay? Let's see how he does it. Look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. He says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. He said, I'm going to ask you one question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, right here off the bat, Paul, Paul, you know, Paul really don't care what people think about him. He doesn't come in and say, hey, you're a great bunch of guys. He says, you're a bunch of fools. He just calls them fools right off the bat, you know. He says, in fact, he calls them foolish uh, twice in the first three verses, in verse 1 again in verse 3. But he explains what he means by foolish. He asks him, he says, who has bewitched you? That, that word in the Greek literally means as if someone has cast a spell over you. It's like you're, you're hypnotized or in a stupor. That, that's really what it uh, means. They're, they're irrational. They're, they're mentally drunk. They're out of touch with, with reality. Now, I want to I draw out a couple of two minor implications here. First is this. Don't ever forget that it's the people who don't take Christ seriously who are fools. Right? It's the people in the world who don't take Christ seriously who live in a dream world. The real I hear people say one time, well, Christians, y'all, it's a fairy tale. Y'all live in a fairy tale. And I say, no, it's you who live in a fairy tale. Right? The, the real fairy tale is not the, the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's this fantasy of godlessness that you can just live however you want, and at the end of the day, God's just going to say, hey, come on in. No big deal. That's the fantasy. By the way, if Christ is real and the Bible is true, then it's not his followers who are fools, it's the world. 
right? That's what it comes down to. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe Christ is real? Do you believe God is holy? If you believe those things, then it's not us who are foolish. It's, it's, the, it's the, the world. Secondly, I want you to keep this in mind. I've heard people say one time that if people are dead in their sins, spiritually dead, by the way, and, and unbelievers are spiritually dead, I've been, in fact, I've been guilty of thinking this sometimes, that there's no point in reasoning with them. That, in other words, the Bible says in Proverbs, don't cast your pearl before swine, right? And I've been caught thinking sometimes that, well, if you got somebody that's spiritually dead and you give them spiritual truth, can they recognize it? No, they can't. And that's true. But I want you to watch this. Even though these people are in a stupor, they're bewitched, they're out of touch with reality, Paul tries to reach them with what? Truth. Right? In fact, he spends six chapters reasoning with people so deluded that he calls them uh, bewitched. The reason is the reason is that we still work in truth is because the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. If he wants to open someone's eyes, he does it through the Word of God. So if you've got a friend or a family member or a co-worker that you're trying to reach, you still, even though they have no clue what church is about, they have no clue what Jesus is about, you still give them truth. Because if God is going to open their eyes, that's how He's going to do it. By the way, He's not going to do it through your, you know, he, you know he, you're not going to convince them. Right? You can use all the logic in the world and try to convince them, but if He's going to really convert them, then it has to be done through the Word of God. Hearing comes by faith and faith by the Word of God. That's where it comes from. John 8, 32, Jesus said, they'll know the truth. And what, what's going to set them free? Truth. Not your great logic. Not your great reasoning, right? It's, it's truth. So, in reasoning with the Galatians that they're... Now, in, in reasoning, we're going to close here. In reasoning with the Galatians that their behavior is wrong, Paul's going to press two main points. Number one... Your behavior contradicts the work of the cross. Look what he says in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It was incredible to Paul that anyone who had seen Christ crucified in the gospel could once again be caught up in legalism. He just thought, that, that's the most craziest thing I've ever heard. The fact that... And think about this, the fact that it should take the death of the Son of God to atone for my sin should basically shut my mouth forever. The very fact that it took the death of the Son of God to pay for my sin, that should make me look at works and say, that there, there's nothing there. That's what Paul said, I, I died to that because there's nothing in it. I'll never make it through that. That's, that we should see that by the, there's no way we can make any contribution uh, to our salvation, right? And by the way, that's why the, the Bible calls the cross a stumbling block. Because the cross, when you hold up the cross, it basically says to every person, there's nothing you can do to get to God. It's all right here. And by the way, human beings, we don't like that. Right? We, it's all about self. We, we want to say, well, I can do it. You know? And, and, and God says to us through the cross, no, uh, you can't. Uh, by the way... If we believe that by being circumcised or doing anything, if we believe that by tithing or belonging to a church or teaching Sunday school, that somehow we can add to the work of Christ and somehow be loved more by God and accepted more by God, 
then Paul says you're bewitched and you do not understand the gospel. If in any way, shape, or form you're trying to to add to the gospel, Paul says you are under a spell and you do not understand the heart of the gospel. Okay? So that's what he's saying there. Um, But by the way, not only does the death of Christ for our sins show how, how hopelessly lost we are, it also shows how utterly sufficient the atonement is which God made in Christ for us. In other words, the death of Christ should just strike a death nail to our pride. Not only can we not do anything, he did it all. And Paul says, how in the world can you hear that and believe that and then somewhere down the line turn away from it? That makes no sense. That's why he says, you're, you're drunk. Somebody, you're under some kind of spell because you can't be in your right mind because nobody in their right mind would turn away from the cross and turn back to that ladder. Okay? He said, you just, you just won't do that. So what the cross does is it kills the independent, self-reliant, insubordinate me, and the cross quickens a new me who lives only by faith in the all-sufficiency of Christ and never looks back to itself with any expectancy or power or virtue. So that's the reason that Paul gives, the first reason why the actions of the Galatians is so foolish. It contradicts the work of Christ. The second thing he says is that it contradicts the work of the Spirit. He says this, watch this. He says, let me ask you one question. He said, only this, one question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Obviously, the answer is by hearing with faith. By the way, every one of us can answer that the same way. We didn't work our way. God didn't look down and say, boy, that Derek is so good, I'm going to give him the Holy Spirit. He didn't do that to any of you, right? In fact, what Paul's doing, he said, he said, remember back when you were first saved. Maybe it was a day where Paul was preaching in the synagogue or he was in the marketplace and, and he was reasoning with Jews and, and Gentiles from the Old Testament Scripture and um, telling everybody you were sinners and that Jesus had died for them. And as they were hearing that message, something happened inside of them. And that was what? By the way, it's the same for every one of us. You you were a kid, you were a teenager, you were a young adult. At some point, you were somewhere. And that message, whether it came from a preacher, whether it came from a family member, or whether it was just the Holy Spirit bringing things to your remembrance, you heard the Word. And when you hear the Word, faith was born inside of your your heart. By the way, you didn't plan it. You didn't force it. It 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 just happened, right? Do we agree? It, that's, that's true for every last one of us. See, we don't plan our faith or earn our faith or deserve. It just comes upon it, us like dawn comes upon a darkened city. It's just there, right? Um, in fact, you did no works. You were worked upon. I love James 1.18. Listen to this scripture. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Why were you born again? Why were you converted? What does James say? Who made that decision? God did. Of his own will, he begets you. He brought you forth into the family of God. He did that. He made that decision. On that day, for me, I was 11 years old, and, 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 and that was the day. But he made that decision, not me. Okay? And so it came by faith, by hearing with faith. I didn't do anything. So God came to you through his word. The word produced faith in you. The spirit of Christ took up residence in your heart. And so Paul's saying, Galatians, you didn't get the spirit. You didn't become Christ Christians by working for God. No, God worked 
on you. And he wants them to remember that. I don't know what verse it is, but um, I, the Bible says that faith is actually a gift of God. It is, it's, absolutely. It's Ephesians, but yeah. um, that it is, you can't do anything to actually get it. I mean, as much as you want it, you can look at somebody, no. and that person has it, and you can want everything they've got. But you can't. Until you start to meditate on the Word and have that truth sink in for yeah. you, God will bestow that gift of faith upon you. Yeah. I heard a, a preacher say one time, he was preaching, and I'd never heard a preacher say this before. He was preaching, and uh, he gave an invitation. A young lady came down, and he led her in a prayer, and she prayed, and and uh, they congratulated her. Well, she comes back about a week later, and she said, uh, she, she told him, she said, I don't feel any different. I feel absolutely this. And, and, and by the way, I, thank God for honesty, right? She came back and said, I don't feel any different. I, I don't, I'm still doing the same things I did. I have no desire to pray or read the Bible. I don't feel any different. And he says to her, you didn't get saved. He said, you, you, you prayed a prayer, but nothing happened inside of you. Because you, by the way, you can't make it happen. God does that. And she said, well, what do I do? He said, go, go fall on your knees and ask God to save you. And he said, if you get up and you don't feel different, then do it again. Don't stop. And he said it took her three weeks. Three weeks of praying and calling on God. But when she came back after three weeks, he said it was like a completely different person. She said, I mean, she said everything was different. Right? Um... See, that's, that's what Paul said. Of his own will, God brought you forth. Right? He did that. Now, he wants them to remember that. And he goes on. He says this. Now, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Okay? Are you so foolish? If, if the way you began was by God and by the Spirit, or how are you going to be perfected? Do you do it on your own? Right? By the way, Tons of Christians go through their life, and if you said, how are you saved? They'd say, I'm saved by grace through faith. But almost, I don't say all of them, but a lot of Christians think after that, you get up and you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you do it on your own. We, we don't, it, it, it's easy, I don't say it's easy, but we rely on God to be saved, but when we, we think, okay, God, you did yours. Now, I'll handle it from here on out. I'll go. And Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, how do you think you, you mature through the Christian life? You don't do it on your own. You do it the exact same way. By the way, what is the flesh that Paul's talking about here? It's that old eye, right? Having, watch what he says. Go back again. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, are you being perfected by that old eye? Remember that, remember that Derek that, that was all about self-promotion? What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? You think that, Derek, is going to help you in the Christian life? No. He says that's, that's not going to work at all. Um, by the way, be, a, be aware that that eye and the flesh doesn't always appear wicked. In an unbeliever or in its irreligious form, the flesh will flaunt its insubordination to God through immorality or idolatry or sexual immorality or drunkenness or whatever. But in its religious form, in its religious form, the flesh will tell you, Derek, I know you're saved, but listen, you can do it from here. 
You don't really need to do this by faith every day. You can, you can do it. Okay, so keep that in mind. It doesn't always look wicked. Um, by the way, consider, who is this letter written to? Galatians. The Galatian what? Church. Are they Christians or non-Christians? They're Christians, right? Again, this is not directed at unbelievers. It's written for those of us who some time ago put our faith in, in Jesus Christ, but now we're trying to live the Christian life on our own power. We're trying to do things to add to the cross. Paul says, no, you begin by the work of the Spirit and you keep on by the work of the Spirit. By the way, the, the essence of the Galatian heresy is the teaching that you begin the Christian life by faith and then you grow in the Christian life by works. That is by drawing on powers in yourself to make your own contribution to salvation. In the modern world, we'd say it this way, right? God helps those who help themselves. We Americans love that. I, lo I found this... Uh, that little thing it said God helps those who help themselves said Jesus never because <laughs> it's not in the Bible right that's 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 Americanized Christianity God helps those who help themselves and Paul says are you insane that's not how it works you've begun by the spirit you continue by the spirit okay I'm going to close here um how do we do this in practice remember I said earlier one of the things that I struggle with is if I have to do, there's something I need to do in my life right now that I haven't been doing, and for different reasons. And I want to do it. I need to do it. So I'm going to do it at some point. I'm going to do it, right? Now the question is, when I do it, how do I know that it's just not me? Or how do I know it's the Spirit doing it through me? Well... <laughs> By the way, you understand? That's a tough question, isn't it? Does anybody else struggle with that? Sure, we do. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you um, a little helpful, practical advice. So let me close with some practical advice. When you need to do something, you need to exert some effort to do right. Okay. Now the goal here is not that we have to memorize this and come up with this. The goal here is this becomes such a part of your life such a part of the way you think and feel that you just approach life this way. So I'll give you a little bit of an acronym, and it's called APTAG. A is for acknowledge, P is for pray, T is for trust, A is for act, and G is for give thanks. Let me tell you what I mean. First of all, acknowledge. Acknowledge in your life that apart from Christ, you can do nothing of eternal value. Okay? John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Apart from, acknowledge that in your life, that apart from Jesus Christ, I can do absolutely nothing of any good. Right? Look at Romans 7, 18. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in, in my flesh. I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Inside of me, it's just not there. I cannot do anything good. I can only do good abiding in Jesus Christ. I can, everybody with me? So number one, you have to acknowledge that in your life. Number two, pray. Pray like Paul did that God would produce in us the obedience He demands by the power of His Spirit. Look at Hebrews 13, 20, 21. Paul says this, May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. If I can't do anything of eternal value 
then if it's going to happen, God has to produce that in me. Everybody see that? Look at Thessalonians 1.11. Paul said, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling, and watch this, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. That God may fulfill every resolve for good. That you've got something in your life that you want to do for good, Paul says, I pray that God will fulfill that. That God will do it through, by the way, through His power. So we can't do anything. We pray that God, I know you want me to do this. I believe you want me to do this. Now empower me to do it. Then you trust. Trust that God will keep His word. By faith, lay hold on promises like Isaiah 41.10 where God says, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my victorious right hand. Trust that when you act, it won't be you acting, but it'll be the power of Christ in you. Because, by the way, he said that he would do that, did he not? So trust that it is him. Now, by the way, remember, we're no different from Paul. In fact, I was telling Debbie about this morning. Look at a couple of scriptures here from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than anybody. But it was not me, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul said, look, I'm, I work harder than any of y'all, but it's Christ working through me. Christ is producing this. By the way, he's making tents. He's preaching. He's, he's, he's busting his butt. But he says, you know what? I'm doing it, but I know. I, not only do I acknowledge I'm not any good, which he did in Romans 7, he prayed constantly for God to produce in him and others his will. And then he trusted that when he went out and worked, that it was the grace of God working uh, through him. Acknowledge, pray, trust. And number four, then you act. Right? You act in obedience to God's words. Now, at this point, you may say again, well, I understand that, Derek, but how do you know, it's a, is this an act of the flesh or is it an act empowered uh, by the Spirit? How do I know? I'm not just trying to do this under my own power to be so God will love me more or look at me better or, or be more accepting of me. And that's a really good question. What makes the difference is the acknowledgement that I'm helpless, the prayer for divine enablement, and the trust that Christ himself is my help and strength. See, the fact is, are, do you really believe in your heart that you're helpless apart from him? Do you really want God to produce things inside of you? Do you really trust that Christ himself is your help and your strength? If those things are all, if the answer to those are all yes, then they transform the act so that it's a fruit of the spirit, not a work of the flesh. If those things are true in your life, then that very fact shows that the Holy Spirit is working in you and the acts that are being produced are acts of the Spirit, not acts of your flesh trying to climb that ladder of morality. Finally, the G is give thanks. When you're done and the day is over, give thanks to God for whatever good happened that day. Give Him the glory. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, whatever you did, give him the glory for it. Give him the thanks for it. So that's just some practical advice on how to live a life to God. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for Galatians as we always do. 